0: save yourself from this perverse generation. I hope to look at what it means to save yourself and I want to look at from what it is that we are being saved and then what a perverse generation is. But let's begin in Matthew chapter 27 verse 22 says, Pilate saith unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? They all say unto him, this is the masses, the mob of the Jews that had gathered around. They all say unto him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw he could prevail nothing, but that rather a a tumult was made, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people, and I want us to notice especially this verse right here. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and on our children. That is the blood of Jesus Christ. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, notice how Pilate wanted to be innocent of his blood, and yet he could not but when he released Jesus, he scourged Jesus, it says. He had Him scourged. He did just not turn Him over. He had Him whipped. He delivered Him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall. Now this is the Romans. And gathered unto Him all the band of soldiers. And they stripped Him and put on Him a scarlet robe. And when they hid, Platted a a crown of thorns, they placed it upon his head, put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him, and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And after they had mocked him, this is the Romans, they took the robe off of him, and put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. Now, go over to Acts chapter chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 21. And this is in the middle of uh, Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. This is approximately, if I I remember correctly, this is about a month and a half or so after he was crucified. And Peter is in in the middle of his message to the masses once again in the same city where Jesus had been tried and crucified. He's in the same city talking to the same people. And it says, he, he continues in his message in verse 21, and it says, And it shall come to pass, he's quoting from a prophecy in the Old Testament, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, so he points it out specifically. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles. And wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. That's pretty direct isn't it? A real direct accusation. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up. Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren... Peter goes on preaching, "'Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch of David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption.' This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Therefore... Let all, And he repeats once again what he had said earlier. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then I want us to notice especially this verse. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So we see the key thing here is there was 3,000 souls that gladly received his word. Isn't it an amazing thing how God takes men who previously had killed him, who had said his blood be upon us, like Paul who hated Jesus. He hated that way, he said. Paul came to love Jesus. These people murdered Jesus Said, His blood be upon us, innocent or not, it doesn't matter. We hate Him. We despise Him. We hate His message of repentance. But then, when God gets done with people, they gladly received the word of Peter. They gladly accepted the fact that their generation was doomed, that their generation was perishing, and that they needed to be saved from it. They gladly accepted that they need to repent and be baptized. They needed to turn from their sin. They gladly accepted that. And they gladly accepted the fact that God sent His only begotten Son into the world to die for them. That they had murdered Him. But Peter addressed that it was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that this was done. And so they realized that God sent His Son into the world to die for me. And yes, I was part of killing Him. But yet, He's my Savior. What a... What a contrast from hateful men to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save people who literally on that day put their uh, approval on the crucifixion, on the beating, on the whipping of Jesus. He came to die for the people who mocked him. And so it says in our passage, though, our main verse, he exhorted them. I find it interesting. He says, we have what we think is the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost. And it's been dissected and many, many messages have been preached on the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost. But it says, notice this, it says, and with many other words, did he testify and exhort saints? Save yourselves from this untoward generation. You could say that what he said, what he was preaching, in a nutshell, this was the message. With many other words did he exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. This is the title of the message today, and this is what I want to focus on. This generation. There's an adjective there concerning this generation he says save yourselves from this untoward generation now we don't use words i don't know if i've ever used that word in everyday english talking about something it's not extremely uh it's not used very much but untoward means perverse so the title of the message could be save yourselves from this perverse generation Perverse. Well, so what is perverse? Well, I googled it. (laughs) Anybody can google anything now. But the the definition according to the common dictionary is, notice this. And as I read this, think about the Jews who had just killed Jesus. Showing a deliberate and obstinate desire to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable. Often in spite of... Of the consequences. It was unreasonable that they should kill their Messiah. It was unreasonable that they should kill the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who it says later, as Peter's testifying to Cornelius, he says that he went about, I think it was Cornelius, but he went about doing good. He did nothing but good. He healed the blind and the lame, and he cast out demons, and he did all these wonderful works. And the place in which he did most of his wonderful works, his hometown region in northern Israel, is the part of Israel that rejected him the most. And ended up under the most condemnation by the mouth of Jesus. But here was a man who never did any sin. And yet they crucified him. It was unreasonable that they should kill him. And then it was completely in spite. Pilate A Gentile didn't even want to have anything to do with him. I mean, whatever pagan background he had, everybody knows, you know, pagans know about karma and what comes around goes around and so forth. And whatever pagan god he had, there was something inside him that was like, I don't really want to have anything to do with this. But he felt like he was covered. He was good to go because, well, well they're saying his blood be on us. So my hands are clean and he symbolically washed his hands. But his hands weren't clean either. And the the, the reality is, is that it was unreasonable. It was unacceptable behavior in spite of the consequences. The nation of Israel, that generation, he says, save yourselves. He's talking to Jews. He's talking to nothing but Jews there on the day of Pentecost. And he tells them, that generation, specifically referring to those Hebrews, especially those within Jerusalem and the borders of Israel, In this context, he was speaking to a generation that had just killed their Messiah. And he tells them, exhorts them, to save yourselves from this untoward generation. I can't help but think that nobody's beyond hope. As we look at our perverse generation, I don't care how bad anybody is in this society. I don't care how immoral, ungodly, it doesn't matter what they've done in their past. They killed Jesus Christ. I don't know anybody who personally has signed off on killing the Lord Jesus Christ, even though we're all guilty of it as sinners. But the reality is, is if they can be saved, if the Apostle Paul can be saved, he can claim to be the chiefest of sinners. If I, Austin Fulton, as a former criminal and fornicator and everything else, if I can be saved, then you can be saved. We're all the same. Break it all down. I don't care what sin, what type of sinner a person is. Save yourself from this untoward generation. In 2019, I brought a lesson concerning... uh, Most of you uh, weren't here, probably, who are here today in this message. But in 2019, I brought a lesson here concerning the nation into which Jesus was born. And I found it very fascinating... A lawlessness and violence. Organized crime. Organized crime was rampant. Extortion by those in authority. Corruption in collection of taxes. Most of the crimes by organized crime and criminals, outright bands of robbers that put themselves together, were not against the Romans. They were against, it was Jew against Jew. This is one of the things that upset some of the people in the land so much is that the Jews were killing the Jews and robbing the Jews. Doesn't that sound like segments of our society today? You can talk about hate crimes. You can talk about all these things. But the reality is that there, each segment of society abuses and kills and robs their own people. I don't care what society it is. It's that way and they were no different. Um, a summary... There were person after person arose and declared himself to be a king. It's an amazing thing that when the real king of the Jews came, and one of the reasons that there was so much mockery about Jesus being king of the Jews is be- before Jesus was born, in the decade or two before he was born, and then it continued during his teenage years, man after man after man arose claiming to be king he would have an organized crime he would have his thugs he would have his he would get his mercenaries together and uh um and then he would claim to be king and, and through their their organized crime and so forth that's how they would get their funds and they would try to use it as an incentive to get men to join forces with them. But then they would go and one man went and they burned Herod's palace and they would uh, go against the Romans and they would try to raise themselves up to be king to go against the Romans. Well, we know that that's what the Jews were looking for, right? They didn't like Jesus because he didn't, it wasn't his time to be king of the Jews in that way. But it was king after king after king tried to raise himself up. A summary by Josephus, uh, the noted Jewish historian of that time, in book 17, chapter 10, says this, And now Judea was full of robberies. And as the several companies of seditious lighted upon any one to head them, he was created king immediately in order to do mischief to the public. They were in some small measure indeed, and in some small matters, hurtful to the Romans. But notice this, the murders they committed were... Were upon their own people, they lasted a long while. And notice even in the book of Acts in chapter 5, it says, When they heard that, they were cut to their heart and they took counsel to slay them. Then stood up one of the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. He had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put all the apostles forth a little space. And he said unto the religious, the religious leaders of his time, You men of Israel, take heed unto yourselves, what you intend to do is concerning these men. For before these days rose up Thaddeus, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain. And all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up of Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him, and he also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. We see even in the Word of God, it mentions man after man after man was rising up. It was a violent society. It was a wicked and adulterous generation. In the the words of uh, Jesus himself, it's a wicked and adulterous generation. Immorality was common, not just in the common man. The sinners whom the Pharisees mocked Jesus, Jesus for having anything to do with, but Jesus, there were those outright sinners. And they were always identifying Jesus as, oh, he goes to have meat with someone who is a sinner. Uh, he's talking to sinners and, and so forth. There were those in that society that were just outright sinners. But then there were the, the religious leaders were completely corrupt and immoral. And Jesus openly condemned them all for being hypocrites and adulterers. In Matthew 16, Jesus called them a wicked An adulterous generation. As I've already mentioned, this is the generation that rejected Jesus of Nazareth. John 1 states, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Peter condemns them as we just read. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. It was a perverse, it was a wicked generation that was there on that day of Pentecost to whom Jesus or Peter was, was preaching. And I want to notice something about our generation, and I've already touched on the fact that the gospel is powerful today in our generation. And this is a wicked generation in a perverse generation. But I would implore you today to save yourself from this perverse generation. Globally, I believe this is the most immoral society that has ever lived on the face of the earth. The full display, man has always been completely depraved. He just hasn't always displayed what is in his heart as naturally to do because there are things in place in society a lot of times that kind of hold it down and you won't be accepted if you're allowed. But what is happening today is anything's open, everything's fair game, I'm talking globally, and when, when that's the case, and well, I won't be judged, and no one will ever say anything about me, then you're seeing this, that is that Pandora's box is opened, you're seeing the full display of depravity coming on the scene at a very, very rapid pace. There are things going on now that have never happened like this. Ever. I was talking to Pastor about uh, we got together the other day and I was talking about how preachers of righteousness in the past like you could go back to Noah or Jonah when he went to Nineveh or John the Baptist he preached in a wicked society he addressed the immorals directly the, reason, the whole reason he went to prison is because he had, John the Baptist addressed the sin of Herod and uh, so immoral, immorality and he was killed for it so preachers today need to address the immorality and what's wrong and just point out what's going on in society and point out that it's not acceptable according to the Word of God. But even you go to men like Spurgeon, when they preached, they did not have to address the sins of our day that are so commonplace. We, as a preacher, when we stand in the pulpit in a mixed crowd with children and men and women, you have to be careful. There's what's... Going on in our society is so gross, and so immoral, and so ungodly that you hesitate to even address what is going on in our society. But I'll touch on a little bit of it. And Lord willing, I'll be bringing another message. Um, This message got too too great, and so I'm going to be bringing another message next weekend, Lord willing, um, entitled The Sins of Our Fathers. And I want to address, how did we get here? And point out from Scripture that there's a there's a precedent. There's a way in which generation affects the next generation, affects the next generation, and it spirals out of control. But uh, oh, in our generation, in Jesus' day, there was not mass legalized abortion like there is today. But worldwide, in 2022, there were 73, and I'm talking about things a lot of times. I want to just pause real quick. A lot of times we look at what's going on in the world and we think what's going on in the world is what's happening in Post Falls. And that is what's going on in the world because we're in the world. But what is so horrible about what's this generation because of technology, because of the internet, because of social influence, because of the, the whole world as a whole is going so headlong in the wrong direction. The things that I'm going to mention are global. They're not just, this is what's going on in America. And by the way, God sees the planet. God sees Brazil and Germany and Russia and North America. And so I'm mentioning worldwide, there were 73 million induced abortions in 2022. In America, 20% of all abortion of all pregnancies are aborted. We live in a society where same-sex marriage is legal. That wasn't happening in Peter's day. That wasn't happening in Spurgeon's day. That would not even happen in my grandparents' day. But preachers have to address what churches have to have policies and, and actually have to... Say, I appreciate what Brother Hoke was saying, listen, the word of God is constant and sure, it's never going to change, it's always been this way, God created man and he created woman, it's never going to be anything else. But we live in a society where same sex marriage is legal and couples are having children with the assistance of doctors and science if they don't adopt We now live in a world where it is a lucrative business to surgically mutilate men and women to make them of the opposite sex. And we have terms like a person is a biological male and we're so far gone that the lesbians, the old school traditional gay men and lesbians and so forth are upset with what's going on with the new transgender generation. I saw uh, a Uh, famous uh, Navratilova, she's a a very good tennis player from back in the day, and uh, she has come out, and she's speaking about what's going on with all this transgender, the men who claim to be women who are competing in sports and winning everything, and she's coming out, and she's not complaining about even the fact that they win everything because they're biologically male, but she was talking, actually, I saw a thing just Friday where it's, it's all over the Internet where she's complaining because these women in locker rooms shouldn't be subjected to having to see a biological male. Whether the guy calls himself a woman and whether he's had whatever, she's upset about that. This is the world that we live in yeah. where things are going so far that even the gay community has a problem with how twisted and perverted things are getting. This is the world that we live in. It's hard to comprehend. There is coming a time when you may see a man, a human being with a beard walking down the sidewalk pregnant. I was going through the news and I saw an article about a man in Britain. And there was pictures of her, him, her pregnant has a beard. Short hair, ball cap, dressed like a man showing off a fully pregnant belly. Our minds, I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of things, but I'm shocked. I'm staggered when I see those things. And here's the thing. Children can go on, the on, I wasn't on some funky site. I was on a news site. And our poor children that are being raised in this generation, parents and churches, we have a responsibility to have to talk about these things because if our kids are so much as watching the news, they can be jarred and stunned by this society that we live in. I'm telling you, it's worse than it's ever been. We have drug abuses and deaths from drugs and drug-related crimes that are on unprecedented levels. And this is worldwide. But in America, 100,000 people died last year from fentanyl overdoses alone. 100,000 alone. That's Post Falls and Coeur d'Alene and Hayden all combined. Died from just fentanyl. Not heroin, not cocaine, not all the things long-term from methamphetamines and everything else. Violence. You say, well, the world isn't as violent as it was in the days of Sodom and the days before Noah. Yeah, uh, yeah it is. Yeah. It's getting there. And if you're watching the news, it's changing by the week. This week, it's been all over the news about how downtown San Francisco is shutting down. Because Amazon, or, uh, oh, Google moved out of downtown San Francisco. Some of the big time businesses that were having business, the federal building, the Pelosi Federal building, by the way, it's named after Pelosi. They came out this week and recommended that none of their employees show up to the federal building because it's not safe enough and they're encouraging people to work from home. Mm -hmm. This is San Francisco. It has the worst violence rate and crimes against humans and property and so forth. Staggeringly way higher than any other city in America has San Francisco not been identified as perhaps other than Manhattan as the most immoral cesspool in America for a long time? And that's what ends up happening as a result when man turns his back on God. Right. They become, listen, it says that the, because iniquity shall abound, yeah. because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. The violence and the rise against other human beings and the selfishness is going to rise because iniquity abounds. Violent, see, psychologists get it backwards. They think that your circumstances cause you to end up being this violent person. But it's the other way around. Because iniquity abounds. The love of many shall wax Cold. It's because of the sin in man's heart and his inclination to walk away from God. God is love. And the further you get away from God, the more you are going to be cold and heartless and self-centered. You will not love your neighbor. What is the first, the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And when you get it, you don't love God and you don't love your neighbor, you end up with San Francisco. And by the way, Seattle's now number two behind San Francisco as an unable place to go and work in downtown because it's so violent. And the drug abuse is so rampant. So we could talk all day about our generation. Listen. We haven't talked about the violence. <clears throat> I have to say this. I saw this uh, this Friday also. On Chicago's north side, city officials have tried to... You hear about this in third world countries. You hear about this where there are actual wars going on. But city officials are negotiating a ceasefire between two rival gangs on the north side of Chicago. And the ceasefire will work like this. We would like for the ceasefire to be implemented every day between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. So when we all go to bed, then you guys can go ahead and go back to killing yourselves. But if you guys could please, and this is what it's about, if you could please just make sure that we can get to work, we can take our kids to the park, and we can have normalcy for all of us normal people and then all you thugs can get back to killing each other and doing what you do at night just make sure you do it when we're asleep that's pretty sad this is an unsafe society that we're becoming to live in more and more and more and it's only going to get worse it's only going to get worse there's hope there's hope though What is it that we need to be saved from more than just the ills of our society and our generation? I want to touch on what it means to be saved from our generation and what Peter, I believe, was talking about. Remember, they had killed their Messiah. There was prophecies that I'll get into in a minute about the judgment that was coming against Israel and Jerusalem specifically. And yet there was still hope. Save yourselves from this generation. But first I want to notice that when we save ourselves from this generation, it, we are saved. When we're saved, we are saved from being in bondage and the vices and the sins that enslave that generation. Yes. When you are saved, you be, learn to hate the sin that you embraced. I can't even. Sometimes I forget the man I used to be and the things that I had done. I forget that what I hate so much and what I see going on in society was me. I was part of the violence, I was part of the problem. And you, before you were saved, you were part of the problem. I don't care how good of a person you were before you were saved. A lost person is part of this problem, and this, they're part of this world system. And you're going with the world system. You're part of the problem. And you need to be saved from out of the bondage that is in this world. As God's people, we learn to hate. Not dislike, we learn to hate sin. Yes. Colossians 1, in writing to save people, these next two passages I'll read. Are, Paul's talking to save people. He says in Colossians 1.12, Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light. Notice he's writing to mostly Gentiles. Church of Colossae, there were Jews there, but there was also, this is Gentiles. And he says, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light. But notice this, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us. Into the kingdom of His dear Son. And it doesn't stop there. Into the kingdom of His dear Son. In whom we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. And what is so wonderful is no matter how bad you were, we all need to be reconciled to God. And what we received, what made us so different, what gives us joy is that we know that we have the forgiveness of those sins. And we have been translated. We have been moved. We're no longer citizens of this world. We're no longer part of this generation. We are translated. When we're saved. Not when we die. We are translated. Have already been translated. Into the kingdom of his dear son. What a wonderful thing it is. To not be enslaved by this generation. And having to go down the road of this generation. This that. That that term kept going over and over in my mind as I was preparing this message and thinking about this generation and thinking about the kingdom of His dear Son. The kingdom of His dear Son. What a wonderful thing that is to just dwell on. We are in the kingdom of God's dear Son. And then Ephesians 2 says this, And you hath He quickened, you who were formerly dead in trespasses and sins. And what a wonderful thing that it's past tense you were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course, according to the way, the system of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The spirit that now worketh in this generation. And then I want to consider the judgment that is coming. We're saved from the clutches of sin, We're saved from the path and the enslavement and the destruction of this generation. But in being saved, we're also saved from the judgment of that generation. And there's two judgments I want to consider. There's the judgment of that generation as it happens upon this earth. This generation that Peter was talking to, turn over to Matthew chapter 23. I want to read three passages where Jesus spoke of what was going to happen to this generation. In Matthew chapter 23, and we'll begin reading in verse 29 through 39. One unto to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you built the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers... We would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. Notice this, he's addressing them as a generation. Ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify. And some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues, and persecute them from city to city. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. And then he addresses what, this is what he's talking about. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is the city where Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee. Wasn't Jerusalem supposed to be where the temple was, where God's name was, where peace should be, and everything righteous? And he says, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now go over to uh, Matthew chapter 11. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20. Remember I had said earlier how Jesus during His life had gone around doing nothing but good. And He did most of His works in His home country. And it says in verse 20, "...then He began to upbraid the cities wherein most of His mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe to thee, Chorazin. Woe to thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes." But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, talking to his fellow Israelites, I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. And now finally, go over to... Um, uh, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. I preached a message recently, I don't know, a month or two ago, from that passage about how Jesus had preached to those people and said it will be more tolerable for you in the day of judgment than it will be. There is such a great responsibility on souls who have heard the Gospel, yes. who have heard of Jesus Christ, Who've heard how he came and died for their sins, and then they reject him? There is more judgment. It will be more tolerable for Sodom, who never had the works of God, never really heard the gospel. It'll be more tolerable. That should be a sobering thought. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. And when he was come near, that is to Jerusalem, he we- he beheld the city and he wept over it. Notice that. He wept over it. Saying, if thou hast known, even thou at least in this day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thy eyes. If you only knew the things that should have been, how things should be, the promises that could be, if you'd only repented. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies and I'm going to address this in a minute. He's prophesying about what's going to happen in just three decades from that time, very shortly, in most of these people's lifetime. It says, For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round about, and keep it in the inn on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children with thee, and thy, they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And he went into the temple and began to cast them out that sold therein, And them that bought, saying, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. He was prophesying about what was going to happen very shortly. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is saying, save yourselves from this perverse generation. The judgment that did come. Here's what happened to that generation. 1.5 1.5 million Jews were killed by the sword. When Rome was finally done, they kept rebelling and they kept rebelling and their zealousness kept getting worse and worse. And they finally got so bad that Rome was done with Israel. And by the time it was all said and done, 1.5 million Jews were killed by the sword. Not just Jerusalem. Galilee, many. the Where Jesus was talking, where He had done so much, there was so much bloodshed up there where the Romans were just, you are um, liquidating people leaders of Jerusalem carried captive and paraded through Rome only to be terminated by gladiators Or as one main leader was cast off a high cliff the Romans took everything from they burned a lot of what was in the temple but they took a few of the things from the temple and if I remember right the the scroll of the law ended up in the house of Vespasian um, Titus ended up with a few things at his place and uh, but they carried off uh, many of the things from the temple, but then it was burned to the ground. not one stone was left on another. The siege of Jerusalem was so severe it was like those of the Old Testament, in which there's testimony of starving because people were starving, and they refused to give up. and Josephus gives account he lived during that time and he gives account to how it was it was sheer madness it made no sense they had been living under the romans for a long time it's not like when babylon came in or a foreign entity came in and laid siege for the first time they literally one and a half million jews died jerusalem was destroyed the temple was destroyed and all those people lost their lives and it just it went against reason they were a perverse generation they were obstinate. They had rejected the Messiah and their reason left them. There's accounts of, uh, oh, just like in the Old Testament, where one, there's an account of a woman who was starving so bad, badly that she ate her own child. And it was a shock to the people of that of that area. Uh, Josephus writes of the, the violence and the immorality and the, that the people of the city of Jerusalem were actually just wicked people. Um. Not one stone was left on top of another in the temple. And to this day, it does not exist. Uh, Matthew recorded... Je- Here's what I want you to think about. Matthew recorded Jesus' prophecy. Many years. You know, the, the critics, the, the Bible skeptics and so forth. A lot of times they'll look at prophecy and they'll be like, well, you know, that was written by another man many years after it actually happened and so forth. Like in the Old Testament that can't even be approached or attempted with the with the Gospels, can it? With Matthew. Think about the church had the Gospel of Matthew. By the time Jerusalem was actually destroyed, the people already had the book of Matthew in their hand. The words of Jesus were already recorded before Jerusalem was there. This isn't revisionist history or this isn't coming and taking some prophecy and, or, and say people can't go back and say, well, the prophecies that are in the and the Gospels concerning Jerusalem were put in there later. No, because the people had the book of Matthew in their hand by the time Jerusalem was destroyed. It, it should give us pause and give us something to, to think about um, concerning the truth of what, what Jesus spoke. Um, I don't have time to go into the judgment of this generation. But there's a judgment that's coming on this generation and it's all been recorded for us in the Word of God. It is just as sure the words in the book of Revelation and the words in Daniel, but especially the judgments that are coming and Jesus' words in Matthew 24 and 25 and, and the writings of Paul and, uh, oh, and 1 and Second Thessalonians and all the writings in the book of Revelation, oh, they are just as sure to happen as the words that Jesus said about the temple being destroyed and not one stone being... The, what happened to Jerusalem is going to happen just as sure as it happened to them, what the Word of God has to say about the book of Revelation is going to happen. Yeah. It's just that sure. And we're in that generation. And I don't have time to get into it, but Revelation begins with these words. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him, To show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Save yourself from this generation. Listen. When we're saved, we are protected. Yes, we're in this world and we suffer right along with everybody else on so many levels. But I'll just give you this little bit of information. The church in Jerusalem did not go down in starvation. The church in Jerusalem was not there. when The church in Jerusalem did not cease to exist because of the siege herod agrippa who paul had witnessed to history gives account of how he was up in uh it wasn't lebanon but uh parts of syria and he was up there close to the time that it was all over for for jerusalem and he gave aid and protection to the church in jerusalem and what was left of the church in jerusalem moved in mass to where agrippa was isn't that an amazing thing but the people who Peter was preaching to, those who were in Christ, were protected from that generation. But you know how we're ultimately protected? Is not that we have eternal life. Yes. And we're not going to the same place as this generation. Amen. We, this generation, when it dies without Christ, is going to die and go to hell. And they will stand before the great white throne. There will be much weeping and gnashing of teeth. They can live how they want to live. They can go their own way. But there is coming a day when they will pass. And you don't want to be part of this generation. You need to separate yourself. You need to repent from your sin and extract yourself from this perverse generation. There's hope. He tells these people save yourselves. And I want to just talk about this. I know I'm going long, but I believe that's okay. Save yourselves from this generation. We finally get down to this save. What does it mean? Deliver or protect. Mm. Deliver or protect yourself. Now we know that Jesus saves. We sing the song, Jesus saves. We know he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus does the saving. God does the saving. Then, why is, is Peter preaching a man centered message here on the day of Pentecost like so many churches do today, giving them something of their own selves that they can bring to the table? He says, Save yourselves. What does this mean? Doesn't the scripture say, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast? So, how can you save yourself? How can you save yourself? when it's God that saves it's not a complicated concept it gets complicated by lost men and rebellion Uh, it gets complicated by religious intellectuals perhaps with good intentions who think they know every detail about how God works in salvation we complicate things a lot but the reality is is there is a sense in which you need to save yourself from this perverse generation I don't disagree with Peter I'll give you an example, a couple of examples, practical things I think we can wrap our mind around. Let's say you live in a 10-story building on the 10th floor, and there is a fire raging on the 8th and 9th floors preventing you from taking the stairs of the elevator. The building is surrounded by emergency crews. You were sleeping, some time went by, you wake up, they're already there. Emergency crews surrounding the building. There are 50 other people who live on your floor who are all in a panic, rushing from one window to another. They're in such a panic that they don't even see the people down below. Some are screaming for a helicopter to come and land on the roof, but that's not an option because of the smoke. Some are yelling that some firemen should come and carry them off on a ladder, but it only goes to six stories. They have their own ways in which they should be able to get out of this fire. Below your balcony... Ten stories below is a giant inflatable landing pad. designed giant just for this scenario. has a big X on it. But you are deathly afraid of heights. You don't even take the elevator. You always go by the stairs. You don't trust the elevator. You never fly. You're scared to death of heights. But the only way out of the fire that is sure to engulf your floor at any moment is to leap into the air and free fall 100 feet. That's the only way you can be saved. People on the ground can see the panicked look in your eyes and your behavior. And they encourage you to save yourself and jump. They can't catch you. They can't lift you away from the fire by helicopter or fire truck. They cannot go up there and they can't push you. Nobody can do anything for you. There's the way of salvation. You want to escape the fire? You need to jump. And everyone's yelling at you to save yourself. If you do not jump, you will not be saved. There's a responsibility on your part. You got to jump. I've also watched videos of extreme kayaking in which men will be swept away in currents, they get launched from their kayak. And they're in these horrible rapids and currents. And I've watched kayaking. My wife and I watched a series where they're over in Nepal and the Himalayas and all kinds of severe kayaking. And, and men on shore will throw lifelines into the water as they come ripping by. Maybe there's a huge waterfall out there in their kayak. They could make it, but they're going to be crushed. And so men on the shore, multiple men on the shore, are throwing lifelines out into the water. And the kayaker, has to, all he has to do is reach out and grab it. That's all he's got to do is reach it. The polling will be done. The rope will carry him to shore. All he's got to do is grab it. If he's unconscious as he drifts by, it's too late. If he hesitates, it's too late. If he thinks he doesn't need the rope, he's a goner. Everybody on the shore sees what's ahead of him. He must save himself by seizing the rope. He cannot save himself by swimming to shore. He cannot save himself There's only one way he can save himself, and that is to grab the rope, grab the lifeline. There is a song, I've heard a lot of criticism over over through my life. There's a song, Throw Out the Lifeline. It's in our songbook. And I can see why there's criticism of that song, simply because all the song is not there. I went and I looked at this song, and I realized i've never sung the most important verses of this song and if you read the songs it's in our songbook, book uh, 572 but if you read the there's five verses that are in there the original song had eight verses the first five verses speak of our responsibility really to throw out the lifeline to some poor soul that is you know you think of like the the life flotation device and The picture of the sea and the raging waves and the person's going to drown and they can't make it to shore. The only way for them to be saved is if you throw them the lifeline. And I've heard it criticized as, oh, it puts too much emphasis on us. And it's Jesus that does the saving. And man can't save himself by grabbing onto a life thing. And I've heard all kinds of criticisms. We're we're really good at that. But listen, the song was written in 1888. I want you to listen to the last three verses of this song because this is what's important. Here's how you save yourself. The song goes, This is the lifeline, O tempest-tossed man, baffled by waves of temptation and sin, wild winds of passion your strength cannot brave. But Jesus is mighty, and Jesus can save. Amen. The next line or verse. Jesus is able to you who are driven farther and farther from God and from heaven. Helpless and hopeless, overwhelmed by the wave. We throw out the lifeline, tis Jesus can save. This, so here's the definition. This is the lifeline, oh grasp it today. See you are recklessly drifting away. Voices and warning shout over the wave, but here's what they're shouting. Oh grasp the strong lifeline, for Jesus can save. Yes. If you do not... Reach out for Jesus. He invites you to come. If you don't come, you won't be saved. If you don't repent, you won't be saved. There is a responsibility on you to save yourself from this perverse generation. I'll close with the words that Peter said. The men were panicked and they said, well, what do we need to do? We need to be saved. What do I do? It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. You know, that's where every person who's ever been saved got. They arrived at that point where they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's how you save yourself from this perverse generation.